This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Welcome, 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 friends. Hello, it is another episode of Last Drinks. And man, have I got a cool guest on this episode of Last Drinks. A little bit of admin before we get into the chat, or as I like to call it, radmin. Uh, Last Drinks, How to Drink Less and Be Your Best. The book by me, Maz Compton, is available for pre-order. If you want to read about my story, some of the amazing conversations I've had on this podcast, if you want to discover the truth about alcohol, what sobriety looks like and how you can be sober with a Kickstarter sober plan, then pre-order a copy of the book. It will be out in July, um, but feel free to get a jump on that. And also follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Uh, get in touch. I've had loads of messages from some wonderful people about uh, feedback on guests I've had and also people reaching out saying, hey, I want to share my story. Um, And with that, let's get to the next last drink story. So, oh my Lord, you probably know Dr. Matt Agnew as the bachelor from 2019. He was the big old batch and um, it was season seven of The Bachelor. So just before the whole world went into lockdown. So this is pre-pandemic. You would have seen his beautiful face looking sharp in a tux on the reality juggernaut that is The Bachelor. Um, But aside from that, Matt's actually super smart. He is an astrophysicist. He is a self-proclaimed space nerd and he does some really cool stuff in the world outside of being on The Bachelor. And I didn't even know this until very recently that this dude is sober and his sobriety started just as lockdown was happening. So he's a few years into his sobriety and Matt openly admits he's had a few slip-ups, but they are all a part of his learning process in sobriety and he has fully embraced the sober lifestyle and I really appreciated his time. We talked for ages and I loved it so much. He has some really cool stuff to share. Um, He was super vulnerable, really transparent and I really just loved getting to know this person who I have seen on TV, I've seen in the media, I've read the articles Um, But there's a real person and a really smart one behind all of that. And it was really nice to see this side of Matt. So enjoy Last Drinks with Matt Agnew. Can you tell me about your last drink and not the sip of coffee that you just had? I mean, like your last boozy, boozy drink. Last boozy drink. Um, So it would have been back in March 2020. Um, I've, oh, I've that had was some a wobbles. terrible month. That was a terrible month. That was the month the world got shut down. It because yeah. I remember it because it was March 23, 2020, which is my son's first birthday. That they were like, P.S. The world's over. Yeah, yeah, we had a good run. And I went, you know? I went, cancel the birthday party, sweetheart, because the world's yeah. getting shut down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so that's actually how I, that's also the um, the kind of, I guess, thing that keeps it fresh in my mind and, and how I can pinpoint the date. I actually can find the exact date because it was, I flew over to Perth because um, I lived by myself in Melbourne and okay. they had WA uh, and it didn't have such spontaneous closing of borders. They kind of broadcast it back then that, all right, we're going to close on Thursday. Um, and living alone in Melbourne, I thought, right, lockdown alone versus fly over to Perth and stay with my folks and then I've oh. at least got people to interact with. Totally. So, so that's how I remember the, the, the exact date. So my, my, I guess my last kind of conscious drink before I made the big decision was then. I've had some wobbles since, um, mm. which I kind of chalk up as, as just stumbles and wobbles. But my last sure. kind of conscious decision to have a drink was, yeah, late March, I think it was the 24th or 5th. Um, yeah. And I'd had 
prior to that, a couple of weddings, friends' weddings, and my mental health had been deteriorating. And so I was at these weddings kind of giving it a proper nudge um, as people tend to do at weddings. Totally. Um, but kind of it was starting to become more a I'm trying to do this to, uh, you know, hide away or escape from some of these poor mental health issues that I was battling through. So I kind of quickly transitioned from I'm having a drink for fun to I'm drinking to try and get away and find some kind of relief. Um, so my last drink, I made the decision. Uh, my last drink was flying over. I had, I think, a couple of beers at the airport and maybe one or two on the flight over. And I decided when I got to Perth, that was when I was going to go dry. Um, so that was my last drink. It was uh, up in the air um, in, in a plane, funnily enough. Uh, couldn't tell you what state it was because at some point between <laughs> Victoria, SA and Western Australia, I was overhead one of those, but I was, yeah, I was yeah. technically on a plane my last drink. And when you were having that drink on the plane, I mean, back in the day, I used to travel a lot for work. And at the height of my alcohol dependence, it was always like cheese and crackers and a red wine because I was always flying virgin, thanks to MTV and all the radio stations I used to work for. Um, but did you know on the plane, like, were you conscious of, I'm, this is the, end of the road for me for like I'm gonna stop now because I can see it heading in a bad direction because I want to see what sobriety looks like like were you really conscious of it being your last drink at the time yeah yeah I was I had decided um I don't know if it was the day of the flight or maybe the day in one of the days leading up to it but I had decided I'm gonna stop drinking at that point I hadn't decided for how long whether it was a short-term thing whether it was a you know in perpetuity or whatever it was going to be so I'd, I'd certainly made the decision um, by the time I was in the plane that I, I was going to when I, upon landing it was going to be you know fresh slate let's see how we go um, yeah it was I, I, yeah I can't remember the specific date but yeah it was it was certainly at that stage when I was having that drink I knew that yeah this was going to be the last one at least for the immediate future. Now you you talked about leading up to that you had some mental health stuff going on and then you sort of gave it a good nudge at a few weddings and I think look when we're celebrating or at a wedding there's two types of drinkers there's the people that are celebrating love and so we drink and we celebrate and then there's the people that are miserably depressed because they don't have someone and we drink because we're upset <laughs> so yeah you know it's like it's a whitewash of just hectic emotional you know fodder at a wedding so you've done a couple of those back to back and you, and you had some stuff going on in your personal life. But prior to those big things, had drinking, did you notice it creeping in? I mean, I know I know you've got a bit of history in reality TV and I can't imagine, I cannot imagine the pressure, how you would feel under a microscope constantly seeing your name on particular websites. Like I can't imagine how difficult that would be to navigate so does alcohol at some point along that journey become a bit of a coping mechanism for you yeah certainly um I've kind of had a, a, a colorful I guess relationship with alcohol in the past and it's often been in the form of a bit of a coping mechanism um this escapism this uh I can kind of get away from things it's yeah, I mean, I don't think that's that's particularly atypical. I think that's probably a fairly standard way that people fall into a more codependent nature with alcohol. Um, definitely the reality TV stuff and that additional level of scrutiny, commentary and criticism, whether justified or unjustified, certainly puts an additional mental toll. And I definitely felt that and I definitely did utilize alcohol in that way to get away from things forget about things um there's a relief i'm suddenly having fun with friends i'm out and about you know i'm not thinking about these things that have been rammed down my face for so long um yeah i think it, it definitely had kind of been been utilized that that way i definitely lent on it in, in that way for sure and i mean you have a scientific background, like as in you're a scientist. And so 
I just find this really interesting, right? As a scientist, would you understand the impact that a chemical like alcohol, when it's ingested, has on your physical and your mental state? And are you able to like, do you just put, do you just park that information? Because do you know what I'm saying? Like a lot yeah. of people, and, I, and I'm not, this is not a criticism. I'm just curious, right? A lot of people don't have this scientific background where they can understand that alcohol is all of these things and what it does to our internal processes and how it changes our brain chemistry, for example. Most people don't understand that. Not to say that that's a good enough excuse to ignore the impact alcohol is having. But if you, did you have that kind of knowledge about alcohol in addition to what it was like ticking boxes for for you? Yeah, it's like I've actually had this exact um, discussion before where I've kind of, you know, um, laughed at myself at the uh, kind of sheer... Uh, I don't know, stupidity of it. I've, I've come into this. I was very... going to say stupidity. I didn't want to say stupidity. I wanted you to say that word. My words, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so no, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with, you know, the chemistry of alcohol, how it affects, uh, like you said, one's physical and mental health. I've also, um, I've been a regular um, person who sought therapy, psychological therapy. So I also know from not just the scientific point of view, but from that psychological point of view as well, that it is a depressant, it provides short-term relief, and then that quickly that relief quickly goes and is replaced by a more uh, pronounced feeling of feeling depressed and feeling down and feeling all those other nasty, toxic kind of negative feelings. So there is, and I've, I have joked about it, where I'm like, I know how stupid this is. As a scientist, I'm meant to do something, recognise how these results are, observe them, and then to make changes and new hypotheses. But alternatively, I just kept doing the same thing over and over, being like, I know this is bad, but it also provides me with a moment of relief. So, yeah, there, there, there's definitely um, – I can't fall back on ignorance in that regard where saying – okay, yeah, this is something that I'm getting some kind of joy from, but then I'm feeling worse after. Why is I don't understand? Oh, I guess I'll keep doing it over and over. There was a, a very kind of, um, I guess, scientific understanding and, and psychological understanding that, that this is really bad for me and yet I still went out and did it. Um, so, you yeah, know, I, stupidity. I, but what, and I, look, thank you for almost making light of it with me, but I actually think that, is so helpful for some people who are like, oh, God, the scientists didn't even get it. Like, it, like how is anybody else going to, you know, and that's why these conversations are important because even knowing the the empirical studies are there, we know what it does in our system, yet we still somehow at some point it was serving you. It was serving um, for whether that was that relief, whether it was the, it's the I call it the multi tool tool of coping because so many people use alcohol for so many different things because they think it offers them something, but at some point everything's a trade off. At some point it becomes problematic, and then it's a question of well, how problematic does it need to get before I pull up stumps, I have a last drink, and I give myself some time in sobriety. So I think it's a really important thing it's an important part of the discussion with you especially to go hey like even with this knowledge and this this scientific background it is still so tricky to navigate and to manage and to get a handle on and it seems and it becomes so apparent to me every conversation I have on this podcast that time in sobriety is the only way to counter all of the stuff that alcohol promises that sobriety actually delivers Absolutely. And it's, um, yeah, like you said, it's uh, drinking alcohol. It's this, uh, it's very transactional stacked against you. You get this moment of relief, this moment of joy, and then the actual payment that you're for, you know, putting forward is feeling absolutely horrendous physically, but probably more um, significantly is, is that mental toll that it takes. And so I think um, to the point you were making about the fact that I understood kind of scientifically and, and through therapy, psychologically, the impacts and knowing with that, being equipped with that knowledge and still making these missteps, uh, it kind of really highlights that there's, there's not really anything to be gained by being excessively critical or chastising yourself, that you do kind of need to be kind of be like this. this is hard. It's a hard cycle to, 
to break because it is so accessible and so easy. Like you said, the was it the multi-tool of coping mechanisms? Yeah, um, yeah. And so, I mean, I've, I've had a few times where I've tried to have a period of um, abstinence and it, it takes a few times. It's, it's very easy to have a wobble. Even this most recent time where I've, I've had this extended period, every now and then there's a wobble, there's a misstep. And it's about being kind and understanding that, yeah, it's 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 not easy. It it is really, it's really fun. It's the social lubricant. It it makes mm. you know we celebrate, we commiserate, we say farewell, we welcome people. Everything is so intrinsically tied to alcohol that it is it is hard to just say right, I'm stepping back and not feeling uh, both social uh, and probably internal pressure to keep you know reaching out and, and giving it another go. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. It is it's so challenging. And I look from personal experience, I found not drinking was not difficult for me. As in I didn't I, I say I think I had some form of, you know, alcohol use disorder. Or I had there was a, a it was definitely something that I couldn't live without for a period of time like I I needed to drink alcohol to socialize to deal with imposter syndrome to all of those things right but when I stopped drinking the not drinking bit was kind of easy I didn't crave alcohol I didn't get the shakes or anything like that but it was when I navigated back out into the big bad world and I was faced with the conundrum of do you want to drink and I'm like no I don't want to drink but how do I tell you that I don't want to drink because you're going to yell at me? It was those social, like the socialization of sobriety was the tricky part for me. So when you land in Perth, um, what did you have a plan of like, I'll tell my family or, I mean, you, you kind of didn't go straight into lockdown in Perth, right? So you could still socialize and kind of do normal things. Yeah, I think trying to, I mean, it's, I can't believe how how long ago it was now. Um, the pandemic's had played kind of um, silly with our, our grasp of time. But, yeah, from memory when I landed, it was the nationwide lockdown that was quite relaxed in comparison to, to what came later um, that year and, and in 2021. So, yeah, mm. it was you could still kind of socialise a bit. Um, for me, I probably had the best environment to walk into to make that jump to sobriety and abstinence and that was because my eldest brother um, about a decade earlier had had a a health complication and um, had to give up drinking for 12 months and after the 12 months he he just found so many benefits that he just stopped and decided not to go back and as a result of that and and 10 years ago there weren't nearly as many options um, in the Australian market but there was still uh, loads of European options that at more kind of boutique stores you could you could get non-alcoholic beers, and so mm-hmm. for the last decade, my parents' house has regularly stocked non-alcoholic beers. There you and go. So coming back in, um, it was really easy because when I said what I wanted to do, they they knew that um, my, my family obviously was well aware of my mental health challenges, um, but it was the perfect kind of support network and. Uh, way to get involved in the non-alcoholic scene because you know, go to the beer fridge, there's a couple of beers full strength and there's about half a dozen different choices of these German and uh, Dutch beers that we didn't have readily available at, you know, your Dan's and your Woolies and stuff, but they were there for me to say, right, I want a beer. I want to feel like I'm drinking something. And it helped that kind of aspect of it, of Mm. being able to have a beer um, and fulfilling that kind of, I guess, muscle memory of, having a drink, feeling that taste in your mouth without having any of the, the negativity associated with it. So 100%. that definitely helped. Um, and that also meant if there were social gatherings at people's places, I could bring a four pack or a six pack of these non-alcoholic beers and they look like beers. So it was, again, it was really easy. People often wouldn't even ask. They'd be like, oh yeah, Matt's having a beer, but I've got a really supportive group of mates anyway. So if it was a case it would be very easy to say, oh, I'm not drinking. I've, I've stopped drinking for whatever. And they'd be like, all right, yep, move on, um, which is not always the case. And and certainly, like you said, in social situations, often people see it as almost this kind of, I don't know, front or slight to them. It's like, well, hang on, wait on, why aren't you drinking? Like, and they've got to seek 
this reason that you've given it up. And and I've said it before. I think I think I might have even said it in the written notes I sent you, where it's the only substance drug and substance where you have to justify why you're not doing it. And no one's you're not rocking up the parties and being like, oh, why aren't you doing ketamine tonight? Is there what's going on? Do you have to get up early tomorrow morning, or totally? You know, oh, you're not you're not no heroin, or do you have to drive? Okay, yeah, no, I get it. It's 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 such a bizarre substance where it's like people they need to know why aren't you doing this? Yeah, um, and I think that social pressure is is probably the biggest hurdle and and challenge for people when they first do it because. It's, it's, I guess, the same as people. It's such a powerful word to say no, but people have a hard time saying it. And so the same way about being able to say something so strongly like I'm not drinking is seen as, as quite hard without having a excuse or justification ready to unload. Yeah, it's interesting too because alcohol is also this substance which I feel when I was drinking I would lie about how much I was drinking. So like you'd catch up with workmates on the Monday and they'd be like, oh, Compton, like you had a massive one on Saturday. And I'd be like, yeah, a couple of champagnes, knowing it was two bottles, like come on, right? So I was constantly lying about how much alcohol I was drinking when I was drinking. And then when you stop drinking, you almost have to lie about why you're not drinking. So it's this like really confusing bit. And I, I do think it comes down to just our culture. It is so not normal to not drink. And that is the narrative that I am trying to change by having these conversations. And I want to get to a point, Matt, where we're all at a party and there's one person drinking and we're all like, hey, mate, are you okay? Like you've obviously had a rough week if you're having a drink. Are you good? Because that's actually what it should be. That's the That feels like the right way around for our are you okay messaging. The person in the room who's binge drinking or grey area drinking is the person that needs to have a conversation and a matesy hug. And the people who aren't drinking are probably a little closer to getting their shit together in a sense that, they are coping and dealing with all of their big life stuff in perhaps more productive ways. And so I, it is such a comp, like it's so layered and so complex. And it, it does, when I think when you sit in sobriety, and I don't know if you found this, because if you're drinking non-alcs um, and that works for you, that's awesome. But you don't have that, like I've never done non-alc. I've just done, I was like four booze, zero booze. Um, that's just how I do things. So I've had many an awkward confrontation in my sobriety where someone is like fully mad at me for not drinking, like, like fully yelling in my face, like you're an idiot, it's kind of abuse. And I'm like, all I did was not drink. How is this upsetting you so much? Did you have any of that pushback or any of those altercations? Yeah, I mean, and kind of 2020, it was the non-alc scene was starting to ramp up, but there were still certainly many times where I'd go somewhere and I'd be on the soda waters. So it was much more obvious, um, you know, it, why has Matt got a pint of soda water? Is he, has he given it a nudge last night and just needs to kind of, you know, dry out a little bit? So you well, get those questions. Thing, well, the good thing with you as well is no one's asking you if you're pregnant because that's what happens if you're a woman and you're drinking soda water is it's like, well, she can't be sober, like so. She's obviously pregnant. It's just so yeah. insane. It's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. There's additional layer of challenge I think women face because of that. Um, so yeah, I, I I definitely had moments. I mean, everyone wants to know why. It's I think there's this discomfort for a lot of people. You're holding up a bit of a mirror to them, and they're doing it so readily without thinking twice about it, and so. They, don't, they want to know why you're not doing it. They need to know that there's something wrong with you and that's why you're not doing it to justify that whatever they're doing is completely normal and acceptable behaviour. And, and that's not always mm. the case. A lot of people drink very casually and have a really good mindful approach and healthy approach to alcohol and that's great. Um, but they still need to know why. And so I definitely, it took me a long time to, it took me probably about a good 12 months to get to a point where I was comfortable just saying, oh, I don't drink. Um, and they're like, why not? And I, I don't like it. It doesn't suit my mental health particularly well. And before that, it was always coming out with, oh, what, what's the reason? Oh, yeah, no, I'm not drinking. Oh, I just need to take a bit of time. You know, oh, I'm, I'm 
being really healthy, I'm trying to lose weight or having these kind of series of excuses that I could roll out. Um, I don't think I, I did have one or two where there's a slightly more aggressive line of inquiry and mm. that's kind of, it's, it's, I, I usually try and extricate myself from the conversation in a reasonably easy way or, or you know, oh, I've got to go to the toilet, and get out of there. But it's, it's certainly now it's so much easier. Um, I can be around drinking somewhere with, with new people that I've met, uh, drinking non out and there's not even a question half the time. Yeah. Or someone will come up and be like, oh, how good are they? Because um, they've tried one for you know, whatever reason. They had their excuse. They were driving or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I think back in 2020 it was still hard. And certainly before that it was tremendously difficult because, they're, they're, like you said, it's so intrinsically linked to Australian culture to mm. um, to have a beer and to not is kind of almost seen as un-Australian by people that, oh, yeah. hang on, what what are you doing? What, what's going on? So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've kind of talked in circles a little bit here, but, yeah, I think the salient thing is, yeah, I certainly took a long time to be able to confidently say I don't drink just because mm. I don't want to and it took me uh, a little while where I did need to have kind of a couple of excuses ready to go um, but I didn't face too much kind of, yeah, aggressive lines of inquiry. There was only maybe, yeah, two or three times where there was someone who was a bit more militant in their mm. pursuit of understanding why I wasn't drinking. Yeah, and I think too, like what you said about our behaviour can mirror, like when when you do something, somebody's response to that can be because it's really confronting for them. So if you're dealing with, your relationship with alcohol, you're having a reframe, you're having some time away and you're good with your decision, but there's somebody that might be in the background struggling or, you know, or maybe they've tried to moderate and they keep failing and they're in this blame-shame cycle, that is going to trigger them and that is when those responses can be quite aggressive and assertive because that person, I think what it means is, and this is probably just good for people in early sobriety just to, you know, understand and take this knowledge into the bar with you, that person who's aggressive probably wants a bit of what you are doing. And somehow they haven't found um, the tool that they need in order to embrace sobriety for themselves yet. So it could even be a little bit of jealousy, like, oh, shoot, like, I wish, I, I wish, I wish I could do that. And I have had those conversations um with very, very drunk people at bars when I'm very, very sober and they're like, oh, my God, I wish I could go two weeks without alcohol. I'm like, you can. It's really easy. Just don't drink. Like, and it, I know I don't want to minimise it because that it is a huge deal. This is why people have great area drinking issues and this is why we binge drink because it is so challenging. But when you really, really break it down, sobriety really is just waking up one day and going, I'm not going to drink today, regardless of whether I have a good day, a bad day, my best friend dies of cancer, whatever happens, I'm not going to drink and get your head on the pillow at the end of the day without a drink. That's it. And if you can do that over and over and over again, that fat in your skull will eventually understand that that's how we're living now. And then like the benefits and the compounded benefits start to flow on. And then you've got this like beautiful incentive because you're like, well, I feel great. I look great. I'm less of a dick. They're all good reasons to stay sober. I wasn't saying that about you specifically, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> that was That's just right. a generalisation. It's probably a shred of truth to that. <laughs> so for you this time in sobriety, what benefits did you, you know, what benefits have you stumbled on that are either surprising or obvious? Yeah, I mean, the obvious ones are, I guess, having your weekends back, having your mornings back. You know, you, you can get up whenever you need to in the morning knowing you're going to feel fresh, uh, you're going to feel rested and you can get up, you know, hit the gym and you're walking home at nine o'clock and there's people who are just starting to roll over texting saying, oh, gee, I feel like rubbish. And you've been up for, you know, and, and I don't think that's kind of should always be the motivator. You don't want to be like this holier than now, but it kind of, it, it reminds you that, oh yeah, the weekends are there for me to enjoy, to do the things that, that give me 
um, make me happy, do the things that make me feel healthy, feel good. And the removal of alcohol gives you so much more time and uh, physical well-being to pursue those things. So I think that's probably the obvious ones. I think one that came back, and I don't know if it was the same for you, Maz, which was you kind of had become so dependent on alcohol for socialising and in particular like things like first dates or meeting people for the first time that you go into these things with this kind of additional level of anxiety about, oh, am I able to hold a conversation? How do, how do I remain interesting? How do I, I don't know how to do this without, you kind of have this element of autopilot, I think, once, you, once mm. you're having drinks because you kind of say hello and suddenly away you go. It's really easy. So that's quite daunting initially. But then once you kind of remember, oh, wait on, I, I used to do this before I started drinking. It's actually really easy. And now the person they're seeing is pure unapologetic Matt. They're not getting any kind of, you know, shades of alcohol mm. or intoxication. It's just pure me. And you kind of it's this kind of reminder that you you are an interesting person. You are someone that people want to hang out with and spend time with. And it's I don't know, it's this kind of quite nice um feel good moment to remind you of those things. And and I think without having a period of sobriety, you you, you don't remember that at all. Um and I think one of the, probably the biggest perk for me, and it kind of ties in with the, some of the mental health challenges, but I, I started getting tremendously bad anxiety, um, which was I found much more challenging than the physical um, hangover. The physical stuff, I was like, I feel rubbish. I'll just drink water, have a grease feast. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll just try and push my way through. Maybe you get yeah. to the point where you you know you have a hair of the dog just to take the edge off. You could navigate the physical stuff, but the mental stuff you couldn't get away from. Mm. And for me, deleting the anxiety from my life was such an important thing for me and just helped me feel better in, in my head. Um, and just removing the depressive, um, you know, the depressant of, of alcohol also meant that the um, those lows, the, the, the depression that could kind of set in was also absent or at least far less frequent than when you're drinking uh, much more regularly so uh, these are probably all come as no surprise I guess they're all probably very obvious benefits but when you're actually doing it and like after one week you're getting one of you know you're enjoying your weekends again then the next week you're mentally feeling more alert a month down the track you're feeling more social and you're enjoying socializing again being completely you know sober not relying on that social lubricant just the like you said the compounding of all of them you just kind of feel better in yourself and and the idea of not returning, whether you went in with a kind of temporary idea or not, it becomes more and more appealing saying, actually, I don't really have a, any desire to kind of go back. It's, it's, I'm feeling so good about things that it kind of, the longer you do it, the easier it gets. And I think that's why people often have a really hard time starting or, or doing it because the, the start is so hard. And it's so easy to, to make the missteps early on. And, and like I said, it's why you need to be kind because it can take a few goes to actually get it right. But once you build that momentum, it really does become easier as you go. Yeah, and I think this for people who, you know, are worried, I think, going into sobriety about the social thing, it's such a, it's really is, it's the number one question I get is like, how do you even do social <laughs> without a drink in your hand and it's like it's really tricky it's hard but it's like I, I just feel like somehow along the way as human beings we really got uncomfortable with being uncomfortable and so what alcohol can do is remove that uncomfortability and that vulnerability because it just changes the chemistry in your brain like so it's not necessarily what alcohol makes us feel. It's just what you think alcohol makes you feel that, that is why we love it so much at the time. And then, and then you come off the back end and you feel like crap and then there's the blame-shame cycle and that's just this like horrendous trap that people can get trapped in for decades and decades. But what I found initially when I was out and the party was happening and I was remaining sober is, number one, I was actually present. So I was... I was acutely aware of my environment, my surroundings, the conversations I was gravitating towards, the conversations I could shut down. So I was in control and I felt it was a power move. And I was like, it's eight o'clock. 
the shots just came out, see ya. And I was so, because I was in control, I felt like uh, this is like I've got my power back in this in, in this situation now. So that was the number one thing for me is just being so acutely aware of what was happening and loving that like I'm a slight bit OCD. So it was like it played into that for me. I'm like this is more control. I've got more control not drinking than getting out of control. So that worked for me. And then the other thing was like, yeah, meeting new people is really awkward. But be awkward. Like it's okay to to be uncomfortable and a bit anxious. A little tiny smidge of anxiety or nervous energy or whatever you want to call it, it's the spice of life. Like why are we all dulling our senses down so hard that we don't even know if we hit a brick wall? Like I think that when you can sit in that uncomfortability and be vulnerable and have kind of awkward silences, it's okay. And I I think that we should embrace that about meeting people or being out or or whatever it is because that's the fabric of life that's that's how you get to know someone and when you start filling in those gaps for someone that's when you're really on a roll that's how conversations fly that's how dnms happen so for me it was those those really two key things it was getting the power back and then just being okay for things to just be a bit weird like whatever let's just be a bit weird it's fine yeah, I love that, and I think that's that's yeah. You're right in the sense that we we lost the uh, ability to be comfortable feeling uncomfortable, and I think yeah, that discomfort, that kind of social awkwardness and clumsiness is really fun. And initially, it's it's such a you're like I can't do this; it's it's too hard. But after a while, you start realizing that this is the kind of like you said, the spice of life. It creates the amusing stories or the uncomfortable silences, and you kind of you word vomit and you say something kind of funny and stupid, and then you both laugh, and all that kind of really organic stuff kind of comes out. And we we're designed to experience the entire gamut of human emotion and and human feelings, and we kind of truncate that by drinking alcohol and not being able to experience some of them because you don't really have an awkward science if you're both lubricated. You kind of just, you know, stuff's coming out, you're laughing, the conversation's probably not particularly deep or anything like that. Mm. Obviously, you cross over into the DNM territory with enough drinks in you, but... Yeah, the death you know, sip. Yeah. <laughs> like one sip and all of a sudden you're, like, crying. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, and, yeah, I think you're right, kind of having those amusing situations that you get yourself in it's 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 fun after a while you realize it's fun and it makes a good story and you can tell people afterwards oh listen to this that I got myself into and this, you know I put my foot in my mouth because I didn't know what else to say and it, it it gives you uh yeah it kind of enriches your life and you have these really fun stories to share uh and I imagine that other people also have these fun stories they're like oh you never guessed met this bloke called Matt and geez, he was saying some funny stuff because he was clearly nervous and a bit awkward and it's funny. It's, you know, you kind of learn not to take life so seriously that that, that stuff is is such a quintessential part of the human experience and it's really good to, to remind ourselves of that by experiencing the awkward moments and the uncomfortable moments completely dry. I think so and I think there's, there's like a whole sort of, almost like back catalogue of comedy that is based on those super awkward interactions and it's like you know those movies and you're watching them and you're like oh oh I did, oh oh but like but you're so present and you feel their like as an empath I take it all on I'm way too invested in movie plot lines but I just think having that sensibility in a social environment is way way cooler and way more fun for us as humans and to remember it all the next day than than the other, which is, well, this was less uncomfortable, but I don't actually, I don't even know how I got home or why my socks are on the front lawn, you know? And I think that being present is such a a good goal. It's a good goal in sobriety. And that can even be a mantra for someone who's like, I'm going to go sober because I just want to experience the range of human emotion that we're supposed to experience as humans, because that's, that's exactly what we're here to do. 
Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent agreed. I think, yeah, that's it's, yeah, it, it's part of the experience of of being a human, and it's so important. And yeah, like you said, the the cringy moment that you're watching a movie or like, you know, I always think of The Office UK has so many yes. of those moments where you're just oh. like, oh, and then when you live one. It's hilarious. I mean, it takes you the first time you live it, you, you're mortified and you're burying your head in your hands and you're like, oh, I can never show my face again. And then after you've done it enough times, you're like, oh, I listened to this hilarious story. You know, I did this thing and I've said this and I look like an absolute melon. But, you know, it's it's amusing and you realise that life to to enjoy and kind of not take yourself too seriously and have fun along the way. Um and I think it kind of going back to your, your bit on control a little bit, but also with this storytelling is, and I'm sure you had the same situation, you know, like you said, the, the shots come out, you're like, right, I'm check out. But you have these yeah. moments as well often I find around kind of, you know, 10 o'clock or so where the uh, the quality of the conversation dips dramatically <laughs> and you realise, okay, well, now that I'm starting to hear the same stories being repeated over and over and, you know, what a good bloke I am and all this stuff and, you know, it's, it's lovely, you know, for about five or ten minutes and you're like, right, I think that's time for me to dip out. It's going in a particular trajectory that I think as a sober person it's going to be harder to enjoy. I'm going to move out with all of my memories, all of my stories intact and let everyone else enjoy life that they how they want to enjoy it. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Well, for me, I think one thing that I discovered about myself in sobriety, Matt, is that I, I am an introvert and I didn't know that about myself for like 30 plus years. Like I literally thought that I was extroverted until I quit drinking and then I was like, I hate people. <laughs> not like I hate people, but like I'm not an extrovert. I just have a big personality, but I like being at home in my pajamas. And so I would drink because I couldn't handle the social anxiety I had every time I was going out. And I was going out every single night because A, my job and B, being alone. You know, who who wants to be alone? So I didn't realize that. So now that I've learned that about myself, it's like it, you can just give yourself the biggest break and go, oh, there's no there's no pressure anymore. And if I want to go out and, and you know, socialise or, or whatever, I'm so in control of it and I'm so aware of it. And, I, and it will feel a bit funky for me because it's not, you know, like I said, pyjamas, hot water bottle, Ugg boots, sold. Um, get me out of the house after 5 o'clock and it's a small miracle. Um, but if I'm there, it's because I want to be there because I'm present and so I'm going to enjoy it. And the second it's not that enjoyable, I'll be like, cool, we're done. And so the self-awareness bit is a really big bit, I think, that happens in sobriety over time. It doesn't really come in that first month or two or three even because there I still think you're dealing with, you're just getting your head around it. You're accepting yourself as a sober person. And I think later down the track comes this self-awareness piece where you're like, geez, I know who I am. Geez, I really like that person. Geez, I want to look after that person and treat that person with kindness and compassion and respect. And I think that is also, again, this like self-fulfilling prophecy about sobriety. And I don't know, for you, it it sounds to me like it was it was probably a great decision for you timing-wise and what you've gone through in the last few years has been a better experience of life because you've chosen sobriety. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, <clears throat> I think timing-wise, it was right. Just having made the decision and starting my journey at the start of lockdown, that I think I could have gone two ways in lockdown. And, and I think a lot of people, uh, and certainly I've spoken with a few people who have, who have contacted me where they've gone the other way. They've, they've spent mm. lockdown, you know, oh, you know, this is kind of why don't we have a bottle of wine? Let's. It's a midday. You know, everyone's yeah. stuck at home. There's there's not as much to do. It was a very easy thing to start doing more regularly and at yeah. earlier and early stages of the day. And I think I would have fell into that way of of behaving quite easily. It would have been, especially I, I was in Melbourne for the the first big lockdown at the end of 2020. It was whatever four four and a half months, I think. And I was living alone, so it would have been easy to be like, all oh, right, you know, it's two o'clock in the afternoon, I'll, I'll grab a beer or something and, and kind of getting into these bad cycles. So so definitely for me, I think it was it was very 
fortuitous that I did make that decision at the start because it meant lockdown was hard, but it meant I didn't have that additional level of of battle to go through of you know juggling something that very easily it can turn on a dime from being in control to suddenly being reliant, um, mm. but also not having to navigate feeling rubbish on top of not being able to get out of the house and see people and 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 continue to live my life in the ways that I like to live it. Um, so yeah, I think that that was the the right timing. But yeah, overall, removing that from the the situation, um, it has definitely improved and enriched my life in far greater ways than I thought it would. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. You kind of rediscover yourself a little bit. You kind of have have worn the mask of uh, intoxication for so long to represent who you are. When you're out and about, you're, you're bubbly, you're gregarious, you're the life of the party. It's really easy to wear that mask. And then when you finally take it off, and, and like you said, it takes a few months, but you start rediscovering who you are. And you're like, actually, wait on, there's there's things that I was doing that don't quite represent me personally or, or really show off who I am. And I think that's part of it, you know, being being sober, you're unapologetically yourself. There's no there's no shield, there's no mask, there's nothing. It's just you. And, and people do love that. I think. Is that going to be the title of your book, Unapologetically Matt? Uh, yeah, look, if I, if I, you know, my first book obviously was, was uh, in a very different area to my uh, non-alcoholic sobriety journey, but I think, yeah, Unapologetically Matt or, or Unapologetically Me or something I think is probably a good term and, yeah, at some stage, I, I think it would be um, something I'd love to do is, is write that story. I think the amount of people, I imagine for yourself having a podcast that is addressing this um, specifically, I imagine you've you've had the same situation where so many people, not just friends, but strangers have reached out and said, hey, I want to make this change in my life. How do I start? What, what do I totally. do? What, how do I navigate the challenge of socialising? And I think the more people who are talking about it, and highlighting that is it is normal and sorry not normal it's it should be normal and the current normalization of drinking excessive drinking binge drinking gray area drinking that is seen as culturally acceptable or the cultural standard i guess uh it shouldn't be the case we should really reverse that and and turn on its head and and by all means go drink and, and have fun it's not like a you know, you must do this or that there's judgment kind of pouring out towards people who do. But, you know, giving it a nudge on, at a wedding should be the atypical situation, uh, not yes. your standard Saturday night. You know, it's just another Saturday. It should be, oh, yeah, I, I, I pushed it a little, pushed the boat out a bit too far. I'm feeling a bit dusty, but gee, what a night. That was great. And keep it as something that is is much less common and it's something that you've done uh, not so um, not so consciously, you just got caught up in the moment kind of thing um, rather than saying, okay, it's a celebration, which means I'm going to drink to excess. Yeah, and I think people can fall into this trap too where they're like, oh, I don't want to go to Mandy's wedding because I don't want to drink. And it's like, hang on a second, you do want to go to Mandy's wedding. You just don't want to go to Mandy's wedding and drink. I don't know who Mandy is. This is a fictional situation. <laughs> Mandy, um, cop and a blow here. <laughs> Sorry, Mandy. I'm sure your wedding was wonderful. Um, but we, it's like the, the attachment is so strong, you know, and it's just, it's reframing it for yourself. And, and again, being self aware enough to go, you can go to a wedding and not drink. That is an option. It might be weird. Your friends might think you're insane. Um, and you might go home earlier than everybody else, but it is, it's always on the table. Sobriety is always on the table. It just means not drinking, right? And I just think the more conversations people have with themselves about, is this serving me? And if it's not, then you're the only one that can change it for yourself. You're the only one that could have that last drink on that plane and then go, you know what? I'm just going to have a break and see what happens. Like I was the only one that could stop myself from having another drink. You know, it's everyone's own responsibility and that's not to make anyone feel guilty or bad. It's That's an empowering statement to go, hey, there's an option here. The option is sobriety, it's health, it's 
it's longevity, it's all of the things you want and it's, it is right there on the table, sweetheart. You just have to Thanks for listening to, to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, you, then subscribe. For more inspiration like and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Because you spend so much time with it and that's okay. It doesn't mean it's the right relationship for you. Yeah, and I think... Um, yeah, like any relationship, there's there's the brain chemistry. There there is a, a, a level of of addiction there, and um, just as when you break up with someone that you had deep feelings for, and you're no longer getting those serotonin and dopamine hits, when you cut off alcohol, there's going to be the same kind of uh, withdrawal. And so that's not saying um, that you need to return there. Just like after a bad breakup, it's not saying as much as your brain is screaming, just go back. It's easy. Mm. It is, it is hard and I think um, potentially some people see, uh, I guess, addiction or, or alcoholism as quite extreme scenarios and so things that aren't quite that far down the end of the spectrum in terms of the degree of dependence or relationship with alcohol is seen as non-problematic and it can still be quite troubling and something that you kind of need to address and just because you're not experiencing these quite extreme uh, relationships and challenges that, that people face that are seen as, as full-blown addiction, you can still have elements that you're battling. And so it, it, I think I think it kind of ties back to, to what I said about being kind and, and being um, uh, mindful that it can take a few times because y- your brain has almost certainly developed this quite strong reward response to drinking um, you know, the really, really early stages of any kind of addiction. Um, and so it, it is hard. And and so if you if you have a wobble, if you try and I uh, only lasted three days and had a drink, then you, you, that's okay. You can you can try again. No one's like mm. counting and going, oh, you've actually only got three strikes here. That's your first one, two more, and that's it, game over. Yeah. It's like, you know, you tried, okay, that was really hard, but I made it three days. I'll try and make it four days next time. But it it it's, I think, acknowledging that, um, there are really, really extreme situations that um, a lot of people are battling, but even smaller uh, situations that might seem much more um, trivial or, or, or easier or that you are in control still pose a lot of challenges. And, and, and that's okay. Like you, you're, you, you, you make the decision to do it, but it's, it's not easy. And, and so, um, yeah, just kind of be kind in, in your, your journey. It, it's, it's not linear at times. Yeah, that's really good advice. I say it it's it won't be easy but it will be worth it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's um yeah, sums it up very nicely, I think.